0: Keep your Bibles there open to Zechariah. <clears throat> I originally intended to cover this entire section, chapter 7 and 8. It is one; uh, it is a unit uh, that goes together. Um, you'll see an outline in your bulletin. Uh, so my apologies to uh, Elder Peachy there. I didn't mean to split up the, uh, the reading so uh, dis- disparately, but I'll be reading Zechariah 8, verses 1 uh, to 8. I intended, like I said, to read the whole chapter, but... Um, this morning, Zechariah 8, verses 1 to 8. <clears throat> before we go to the Lord, uh, hear Him. Let's go to Him once more in prayer and ask His blessing upon the reading of His word. Let's pray together. Our glorious God and Father, we come again before you. We bask in knowing the privilege of your presence as we worship together you, dear Lord. And we thank you for this, your word. We thank you for your sovereignty and your. Uh, providence and protecting and trans, uh, uh, giving us this word throughout time, Lord, that we can know your will for our lives, Lord. We praise you and thank you That it is all that we need to know for life and godliness. Father, uh, we acknowledge that it is authoritative and that it is powerful and is sufficient, Lord, and that it is indeed uh, inerrant and infallible. So, Lord, we pray that you would be with us now. We come again uh, to sit at your feet We ask, speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. We ask this all, all of your people, say together, uh, praying in Christ's name, Amen. Zechariah chapter 8, starting at verse 1. I'm reading the first eight verses. Zechariah chapter 8. And the word of the Lord of hosts came, saying, "Thus Thus says the Lord of hosts, I am jealous for Zion, with great jealousy, and I am jealous for her, with great wrath. Thus says the Lord, I have returned to Zion, and I will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and Jerusalem shall be called the faithful city, and the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. Thus says the Lord of hosts, old men and old women shall again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each with staff in hand because of great age. And the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in its streets. Thus says the Lord of hosts, If it is marvelous in the sight of the remnant of this people in those days, should it also be marvelous in my sight, declares the Lord of hosts. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will save my people from the east country and from the west country, and I will bring them to dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God in faithfulness, and in righteousness. So for the reading of God's word, may he indeed add his blessing upon it. You have probably all heard at one time or another, um, if not from perhaps uh, nominal believers or from maybe broader evangelicalism, uh, you've probably heard the phrase that Christianity is a relationship, not a religion. Have you heard that? And it said that we need, what we need is Christ, not a religion. And there is a sense where this is indeed valid and true. Uh, Christianity is not simply an external adherence to religious practices. It is not merely a catalog of do's and don'ts. But it is a vital saving relationship with the person of Jesus Christ himself. And that's true. right? Amen. But there's a sense in which the word religion... It's perfectly good and an acceptable word. Right? The Apostle James himself says Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Right? This is true religion before the Lord. Religion is not a dirty word. In Zechariah chapter 7 and 8, a delegation comes from Bethel. And they come to the prophets and they ask about their religious observances. They ask about their practice. In chapters 7 and 8, they really are connected. They form a unit. Uh, These chapters take us really from fasting to feasting. From fasting to feasting. And you can see in your outline there in the back of your bulletin, uh, they do form a literary unit. right? And it's a way of writing um, the construction of this passage. Uh, It's where the outer portions relate to each other, and then the inner portions relate to one another, and they step in as we go, and then there's the center, and we've talked about this before, it's probably not new to you, um, the center is usually, if there is a center, it's the emphasis, it's what it's focused on in the structure, and so as you look at your outline, it might be helpful to see this, uh, we see in this, uh, in these chapters 7 and 8, the outer parts, right, the beginning and the end, verses 7, 1 to 3, and verses 8, 18 to 23, and they're talking about fasting. Talking about fasting. And so, first, there is a question that comes about fasting. And then, in the, the, the outside section, the last section, it's an answer about fasting. And the answer is that true fasting will indeed turn into feasting. Right? And we'll look at this next week. But then, as we step in from the outer sections to the next sections, the step that goes in in our structure that gives us sermons, if you will. In verses seven, uh, chapter seven, verses four to fourteen, we have a sermon against falsity, a sermon against phoniness or hypocrisy. And then the, the, the passage that correlates to that, chapter nine—sorry, chapter eight, verses nine to seventeen—is a sermon about faithfulness. You see, so there's fasting and feasting, and then falsity and faithfulness, right? And then we have in the center there, chapter eight, verses. 1 to 8. We have the center. And in the center, it speaks of the Lord's promise to transform Jerusalem. The Lord's promise to transform Jerusalem. Uh, Again, you have the outline in the back of your liturgy. But we have this question and then these sermons and then a promise. right? And then the close that we'll look at next week is the answer to that question about fasting ultimately. But as we look through these steps, uh, we'll do so, and as we do, we'll see that the Lord, his, uh, our Lord's faithfulness, we'll see his faithfulness in keeping his promises, and the glory of the promises indeed, the promises that he will keep. And so we look and we come to chapter 7, and this is actually two years have passed since our prophet Zechariah received those night visions that we've been looking at for the past number of weeks. Two years have passed and then in chapter 7, Zechariah receives another word from the Lord. And again, it starts in verse 1. In the fourth year of King Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah on the fourth day of the ninth month, ninth month, which is Kislev. The date that is given there, it ends up being something like December of the year 518 BC. And um, this is how we can date these things. And we know that the work of the rebuilding of the temple started two years prior, uh, and it wouldn't be finished for another two years after. And what has prompted this new word that comes, right? Well, what is the occasion for this? It was a question, again, about fasting. question about fasting. And this group has, group has come from Bethel, right? Some of your some, some English translations say have come from the house of God. Well, Why does it say that? Well, the word Bethel means the house of God. And so sometimes it's translated uh, thusly. But Bethel, El, the house of God. The group has come from Bethel. It says, to ask the priests and the prophets what? About the practice of the fifth month fast. Right, the fifth month fast. This was a fast that had arisen during the time of the exile. Um, we see in Zechariah 7.3, it says, should I weep and abstain in the fifth month as I have done for so many years? So this fifth month fast is likely started um, in the connection to the burning of Jerusalem and the destruction of the walls of the city. And then the, uh, and then the exile of the people by the armies as they're taken away from Babylon in the seventh day of that month. Uh, we're not going to read it now, but if you'd like later on this Lord's Day um, to meditate upon or to read for your edification, you can read about this in 2 Kings chapter 25. It talks about this. Uh, the but that day effectively marked what? It marked the death of a nation. And so it would be kind of natural that they would fast and mourn for this day during their years in exile. Again, as verse 5 says, these 70 years, as we have done for these 70 years. Now that the temple rebuilding was underway, right, they are restored to the land, the construction begins, and the people wondered if they should continue these fasts. And so they ask. And they ask, and what is behind this also, more importantly and to the point, they're asking, can we put aside this morning? Can we put aside the morning? Look what we're doing now. Could they look with joy and anticipation towards the new age to come that was promised to come with the completion of the rebuilding of this temple? Right? Was the glorious promised restoration Of the nation soon to come. Was it right around the corner? Shall we still fast and mourn. As we have these 70 years. Again verse 3. Should I weep and abstain in the 5th month. As we have done for so many years. Well you know the Lord here doesn't answer directly that question. And he doesn't do so really until chapter 8. But he does address them. And when he addresses them what does he say? He criticizes them. He criticizes them for their fasting. Right? And this is just one more place where we learn that our worship practice matters to the Lord. Right? The Lord gets to say how he gets to be worshipped. It's not a trivial thing. It's not a trite thing. It's not an unimportant thing. It's paramountly important to the Lord. Our hearts matter to the Lord. So in verse 4 we read this. Then the word of the Lord of hosts came to me. Say to all the people of the land and the priests, When you fasted and mourned in the fifth month and in the seventh for these 70 years, was it for me that you fasted? And when you eat and when you drink, do you not eat for yourself and drink for yourselves? Were not these the words that the Lord proclaimed by the former prophets when Jerusalem was inhabited and prosperous with her cities around her and the south and the lowlands were inhabited? This is the word of the Lord that comes to the people. And he criticizes their fasting. And he asks a handful of questions to what? To expose this very thing. To expose the people's lack of sincerity in their fasting. Both in the fifth month fast and in the seventh month fast. He criticizes them. In some ways they had created their own church calendar by these things. The seventh month fast... It's interesting. Again, we're not going to get into all the history of it because we just don't have the time. But it was associated with the assassination of one of the leaders of Judea, or of Judah, rather, um, Gedaliah, a man named Gedalia, a leader of Judea at the time. And he's assassinated in the seventh month. And so it was observed to commemorate the failure as well of the reformed efforts in the nation. You know, the prophets came and came and came and warned and instructed them to call the people back, call the people back, and they would not. But the point for us this morning is that the fasting of the people for the fifth month and the seventh month had little to do with their hearts, had little to do with their hearts that were focused on the Lord. Their fasting had not been for the Lord, but only for themselves. And this is what the Lord calls them out for in this passage. They had gone through the religious motions, right? the religious exercises, but their hearts were not there. Their hearts were not there. And of course, this is always a warning and a reminder for us, brothers and sisters, that we should never do things mechanistically, perfunctory, just to do them. Right? We do it with our heart for the Lord who saved us, who gave us life, who gives us life, who protects us and sustains us, and He calls us and we follow Him with our hearts. Their uninformed their unreformed hearts, right, not listening to the warning of the prophets before them, they were revealed how? They're called out for their practice of injustice and oppression and exploitation. And so authentic, sincere fasting needed to be related to the weightier matters of the law, right? not just an effort to reverse their circumstances. Right? Oh, okay, Lord, you brought the hammer down on us, so we're going to give to get, right? So they wanted something, they wanted to reverse the situation they were in, not from their heart. And so he calls them out. And you know, it's interesting, there are very uh, definite echoes in this passage from Zechariah to the prophet Micah, you'll recall, right, where he had said um, that they needed to to, to show justice, to show kindness and mercy towards one another. They needed to, uh, not to oppress the widow and the orphan and the sojourner and the poor. And they were to shun evil. You know, these were some of the reasons they went into exile in the first place. And so to continue to ignore them while supposedly fasting with a posture for looks of doing something, it showed that they were total phonies. They were hypocrites. There was falseness there. They were false fasters. It says they had what? Turned a stubborn shoulder, right? Like an ox that won't allow a yoke on its neck. They had turned a deaf ear. They had hardened their hearts like flint, it says. Or like a diamond. Diamond hard, it says. They made their hearts diamond hard. Unbreakably hard. Their consciences were impenetrable. They had become impenetrable and callous. Nothing could penetrate their hearts. And so the Lord sends His just wrath on the people. And they are scattered. And they are exiled. And the land as a result, was left as a waste. Now how tragic is that, right? What was the land a picture of in Scripture? It was a picture of glory, the land that they would have eternally, not just a physical piece of land. How tragic is that, right? How was the land described in your Bibles? It's a picture of glory, right? It is delightful, it is spacious, It is full of produce-bearing fields and trees and fruit-yielding vineyards. Luscious and glorious. It is land that is watered as though from heaven itself, it says. It drinks from heaven. It is land, what? The most famous one that we know. The land flowing with milk and honey. And now, as the people are in exile, it is desolate. The promised land. The land flowing with milk and honey is desolate. Not even shepherds found it useful for grazing anymore. They had been unfaithful to the covenant. Remember that they were so zealous to enter into. Remember at the end of Deuteronomy, all these things we will do. But they did not do them. They did not do them. And so like Adam, God's son, who failed and was ejected from the land, the garden, Israel, God's son, failed and was ejected from the land, the blessed, glorious land, the land flowing with milk and honey, the land now lay at waste and ruin and desolate. And so if we take a brief sidestep, we have to mention again, because it comes up again, and it's so clear that everyone, every one of us, all of humanity is either in Adam or in Christ. Because the nation of Israel, which entered into that covenant, All these things we will do. That covenant was originally given to Adam. And then again to Israel. And that nation did not keep that covenant. And it all pointed to the fact that they could not and did not do it on their own for and of themselves. They broke that covenant. They violated the terms of that covenant. And they suffered the sanctions of failing to keep that covenant. The curse sanctions. And it drove home that critical point that they needed what? They needed one to come who would keep it on their behalf. And it hammered home the point that they were full of sin and and in need of a Savior. And that if that covenant was going to be kept, God would have to send one who would keep it for them. And that's exactly what we find happening in Christ Jesus, right? He is the covenant keeper. And even we, Today, Even you here today, you're either standing in your own righteousness before the Father who is in heaven, or in the righteousness of Christ. You're either in Adam or in Christ. And I pray for all of you here today, and even those who are listening or watching, that you will flee to Christ and find hope where hope alone is found, and that's in Jesus Christ. Flee to Him. Flee to Him. Because your righteousness will not do. My righteousness will not do. Is the Lord who is just and justifier, right? If you're in Adam, you are still in your sins, and Scripture says what? God's wrath abides on you if you are in Adam. But if you're in Christ, oh, there is freedom and life and peace and forgiveness. Flee to Jesus for life, dear friends. Flee to Christ. And so there's this question about fasting that comes, and then a sermon against the phoniness, the false fasters, the false hearts of the people, and then we move into this middle section, this glorious middle section of this chiasm. Is what the literary device is called a chiasm? There's a stair step into the middle. It's an inclusio structure, and that centerpiece is chapter eight, verses one to eight. And the central passage is the emphasis and the focus of these two chapters. And what it's about is the word from God about what? About the Lord's promise to transform Jerusalem. His promise to transform the city of God. And of course, this has implication. It's pointing to something else. Again, not just to that land and that structure and those people and those walls. But it's a promise to transform the church, the people of God. Right. So listen to this section, Zechariah chapter 8. It says, And the word of the Lord of hosts came, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I am jealous for Zion with great jealousy, and I am jealous for her with great wrath. Thus says the Lord, I have returned to Zion, and will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and Jerusalem shall be called the faithful city, and the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain, Thus says the Lord of hosts: Old men and old women shall again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each with staff in hand, because of great age. And the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in the street in its streets. Thus says the Lord of hosts: If it is marvelous in the sight of the remnant of, the, remnant of this people in those days, should it not? Should it also be marvelous in my sight? Declares the Lord of hosts. And then listen, he says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will save my people from the east country and from the west country, and I will bring them to dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. Right, where he just said he would dwell. And they shall be my people, and I will be their God in faithfulness and in righteousness. Wow, what a glorious promise. What a glorious promise. Glorious promise. Glorious indeed. And we look at this and we see and we remember and we're familiar with the wonder and awe of these promises. What a joy and benefit we have to have all of the Lord's word to us. All of special revelation given to us. All that He would have us to know. What a joy. What a benefit. What a blessing. And we know Having this full revelation that these divine, covenantal, historical threads that we can pull and they go all the way through His Word, God's call and promise that He will be their God and they will be His people and He will dwell with them in their midst from beginning to end. The Lord, our God, is faithful. He is faithful. Despite the phony fasters. Despite the people's failure to show justice and mercy that they were commanded to do. Despite their punishment of this. Even though the Lord remains yet jealous for Zion. Passionate. Concerned. Zealous. He remains jealous for her and he promises to return and to renew her. Zechariah 2. Thus Says the Lord of hosts, "I am jealous for Zion with great jealousy, and I am jealous for her with great wrath." right? This just echoes the beginning part of this whole uh, of, of Zechariah, chapter one verse 14. Remember the very beginning? He says, "So the angel who talked with me said to me, Cry out." Thus says the Lord of hosts, "I am exceedingly jealous for Jerusalem and for Zion. He's concerned, he's ardent, he's passionate, he's zealous. And as we think about this, of course, we know that in one sense, uh, the Lord has already returned to Jerusalem, right? He's already returned. The people's return, the beginning of the building, the reconstruction, they show that the Lord is there in Zion. But in another sense, he has not yet returned. And his presence would not be fully felt until the future completion of that restoration, right? And that's why we see in verse 3, we see the different verb tenses, even in that one verse, in the text, right? We see past and we see future tense there, right? Verse 3, I have returned to Zion and I will dwell in Jerusalem. Right? So we have both. When that future time comes, the city will be exemplified by what? By faithfulness and holiness. And this, of course, is picturing that glorious, idyllic time to come. Right? What does it say? It says that Jerusalem will be filled of old men and women sitting in the streets, and children will run and play there. This is significant. Part of the curse. Other prophets, like Jeremiah, like Ezekiel, they'd condemn these places as unsafe and unjust and wicked. And they declared these places to be places of destruction and ruin. At the foreign enemy's hands, but now here in Zechariah, there's this promise. There's this promise of the transformation of the city. It is the reversal of that curse, right? And it's uh, it's like in Isaiah 65, right? Isaiah 65 talks about the new heavens and the new earth, like that. Zechariah tells of that of the time when together, right, the wisdom and blessing of old age along with the vitality and energy of youth, would be seen in the same areas. I listen to Isaiah 65, starting at verse 17. It says, For behold, I create new heavens and new earth, and the former things shall shall not be remembered or come into mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy, and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. No more shall there be an, infinite, an infant who lives but a few days. Or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die a hundred years old. And the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat of their fruit. Oh, the glory of this promise. Right? This sounds like something right out of the book of Revelation. Indeed it is. That imagery is exactly repeated at the end of Revelation. The glory of this promise. It sounds too good to be possible, right? Pie in the sky, they say. Snidely. Right, There's a well-known professor uh, at Westminster, California who used to say about this, right, this really at times rude, dismissive comment about the glorious promises of heaven being just pie in the sky. He was known to reply with an imaginary handful of a slice of pie and he would say, give me more, more, give me another bite of that pie. And that's it, right? May we never limit The wonder, indeed the wonderful and amazing promises of God to merely this physical, temporal planet. May we never limit it to that. Oh, there's so much more. So much more glorious, more life-giving, life-enriching, passion-filling. Know how they have implications for our lives right here and now. The truth of the eternal. Pressing in today to our lives Today. Because those promises are true, and they are. Oh, what a different life I will live. Oh, what different lives you would live. You know, we struggle and we fight against our bent and drive towards sin and sinning in our lives. But you know, what the Lord tells us in His Word is true. It's true when He says that those who belong to Him are new creations. And we're freed from sin. You know this, right? It's not new to any of you. And if you are trusting in Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, then you have indeed, God tells us in His Word, died to sin. You've been crucified with Him. You've been raised to walk in newness of life. Romans chapter 6. You are freed from sin. Wow. is that amazing? then why do I continue to sin and sin and fail because the battle of our Christian life rages until glory it is a life of warfare spiritual warfare and we are called to what? to trust the gospel to transform us to grow us to trust what he says is true to trust the gospel to renew and to build us and strengthen us we are called to believe and to trust and to press into the life of Christ, to press into Jesus, to flee to Him, to trust Him when He says about us that we have died and our lives are hidden with Christ in God. Do you believe that? Do you believe it? Colossians 3 says it. You better believe it. It's true. Believe it, brothers and sisters. Trust, love Him, live for Him, by his power. Plead with him that we would give you trust and faith and surrender to him. Oh, how he loves his people. How oh, he loves you. He will grow you. He will answer those prayers if you plead with him. If you go to him and you flee to him. Well, the people in Zechariah's time, they had imagined the wonder of it all, the wonder of it all. And even given their current blessings, nevertheless it was hard for them to imagine. It was hard for them, even as it is hard at times for us to believe and to imagine. Right? He says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, if it is marvelous in the sight of the remnant of this people in those days, should it also be a marvel be marvelous in my sight? The Lord is the God of the impossible. Of the miraculous, right? He brings substance out of nothing. He forms and he fills and he orders that substance. He gives even barren wombs, children in their old age, and on and on and on. Nothing is too far, too hard for this God who made the heavens and the earth. It is the same God, He's the one who could complete what He promises, right? He promises and he can gather his exiled people dispersed throughout all the lands and nations and he can bring them back home to the city of God to Jerusalem. And verse 7 says, thus says the Lord of hosts, behold, I will save my people from the east country and from the west country. What is he doing? What is his motive for doing this? Well, the motive for this comes ultimately from the Lord's faithfulness and his commitment to To the covenant that he'd enter into with the people. His covenant faithfulness. Why did he do that? Out of his mere love. Out of his mere good pleasure and his love for his people. But he's faithful to the covenant. Right again. Listen to to Zechariah 8.8. And I will bring them to dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. And they shall be my people. And I will be their God. In faithfulness and in righteousness. Right? And this relationship would be established by the Lord cleansing his people of their defilement. I'm going to read a handful of texts. Uh, You don't need to try to flip to them, but I'll give you the the verse. You could read that later, perhaps, again. Fill Fill the Lord's day up with the Lord's word. It's a glorious thing. You'll be blessed by it. But this relationship will be established by the Lord cleansing his people from their defilement, cleaning them, cleansing them. Ezekiel 11, verses 17 and 18 say, Ezekiel 11 verses 17 and 18 of the cleansing of his people. Therefore say, say, thus says the Lord God, I will gather you from the peoples and assemble you out of the countries where you have been scattered and I will give you the land of Israel. And when they come there, they will remove from it all its detestable things and all its abominations. Right? His cleansing. And then Ezekiel 37, 23 they shall not defile themselves anymore with their idols and their detestable things or with any of the transgress- their transgressions. But I will save them from all the backsliding in which they have sinned. And I will cleanse them. And they shall be my people. And I will be their God. Over and over again. What a wonderful promise of cleansing from the Lord. He'll cleanse them. And he will also give the people a new heart. Jeremiah 24.7 Jeremiah 24.7 I will give them a heart to know that I am the Lord and they shall be my people and I will be their God for they shall return to me with their whole heart. Ezekiel 11.19 And I will give them one heart and the new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. The same thing that he repeats Uh, Ezekiel in Ezekiel chapter 36. A great exchange, a heart of stone for the heart of flesh. Glorious, a new heart. The Lord would cleanse them. He would give them a new heart. And he would press his law on their hearts so that they would walk in his ways and obey his commandments. Ezekiel 11.20 That they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them. And they shall be my people and I will be their God. Jeremiah 31, 33. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Oh, the glory of the promises of the Lord. Again and again. It's as if he wanted us to remember these things, right? And get them into our bones, and scratch them hard into the hard drive of our memory. And what a wonderful promise, what a wonderful thing it is that you, you who trust in Jesus and love him and live for him, you are part of these promises. You. It's fulfillment is for you, dear Christian. Through the Spirit he has gathered you. He has brought you to himself, to the place that it is his place. And even now you are with him, who is seated in glory. Do You believe that. In one glorious and incomprehensibly amazing day, one day He will consummate all things, bring it all to conclusion, and you will be forever in His presence, blown away by His love and beauty and majesty. You reflect upon that day, brothers and sisters, you want something to reflect upon for the rest of your days on this earth. To fill up not only your Lord's day, but every day. Reflect upon that. One day you will sit before Him, in all of his majesty and beauty and love. And this promise is for our good and it is for his glory. And it began when he came in the Christian manger, the Christmas manger. And it was accomplished when he hung on the Good Friday cross, and he was raised from the dead. And he came out of the tomb. He came forth from the tomb victorious, victor, King of glory and of life. Oh, the promise. It should enliven you, brothers and sisters. It should give us great joy and comfort in our lives. We with him and he with us forever and for always. Oh, dear people, brothers and sisters, let us give him praise. Let us give him praise even as he prays for you and guards you for himself and guards glory for you. It is your inheritance, it is guaranteed. It is glorious. And let us remember and embrace the promises of God. He will transform you completely after the image of His beloved Son. Even as the Spirit, even now, is transforming you. Even now, day by day by day. So let us rejoice. Let us be glad. Let us tell others where life is found. It's in this King, Priest, our Savior and Redeemer, Jesus Christ live dear friends live your lives in gratitude for this jesus you are free all you saints you're free to love your king and even to love the unlovely because you were once unlovely and the king loved you may the outside world dead and dying as it is may it see jesus may it see jesus reflected in your life in you, as you love with the love that you've been loved with, the love of Christ which gave you life. Amen. Let's pray. Our Almighty Lord, we come again before you. We thank you. We delight to give you praise, and we thank you, Lord, for the blessing of your word, these blessings that we read about, and for your glorious promises that we have in Christ. We pray now, Lord, that you would apply these things to our hearts that you would stir up our zeal and love for Jesus, for our own personal holiness. Lord, we pray that we would surrender to you as you continue to transform us and to change us. We thank you and we praise you, and we ask all of this in Christ's name. Amen.